American founding father Thomas Paine once explained unforeseen circumstances quite clearly when he noted that war involves in its progress such a train of unforeseen circumstances that no human wisdom can calculate the end. Now, this is yet another brilliant comment by my favorite founding father. It describes how decisions made, even if the reason for making the decision is noble, how it can initiate a chain reaction of events that were unimaginable at the time the actual decision was made. And this phenomenon happens in every war. Once a war is initiated, it takes on its own life. It takes its own path. The winner of a war is determined by the war itself. We've all heard the quotes about how the plan goes out the window as soon as the bullets start flying. We can say this another way, and we can say that no war goes as it's planned. Military officers, of which I may or may not have been one, are all taught that the enemy has a say in your war plans. But it's the unforeseen circumstances and how they are dealt with that determines who wins a conflict. And America's next civil war will be no different. Hello, my name is Kali. Welcome to the Upcoming American Revolution podcast. Now, if you've been with us a while, you may recognize that I've tried to do something different or special during each of this podcast's anniversary episodes, and this is one of those special anniversary episodes. This is our 40th episode. And uh, based on the statistics, you, the listener, like the episodes where we list things. So let's see if we can keep that trend going, and today I'm going to go over the three unforeseen circumstances that cannot be planned for, but will happen during America's next civil revolution. So with no further ado, let's get into this and start with a third and count it down to the number one unforeseen circumstance. Unforeseen circumstance number three. Food and fuel prices will become unstable and the urban centers. Yes, obviously in times of turmoil, food and fuel prices become unstable and begin to increase in cost. But what's interesting during America's upcoming civil revolution are the reasons why food and fuel prices will jump so significantly. First off, food and fuel are necessary for a functioning society. If you're into psychology, they are the first things you need to ensure stability. A psychologist named Abraham Maslow created a hierarchy of needs that explained human motivations. Food is one of our primary needs along with, say, water and warmth. So both food and fuel are primary needs, and if either is unstable, the population gets desperate and governments get deposed, or they at least have to go into hiding, especially when the population has firearms. There are two main reasons why this occurs. It is either because of a lack of production or ability to transport what is produced, or it is the interference of government into the market. And if we look at production, there is an obvious difference between those who grow food, produce fuel, and those who want and need the food, and want and need the fuel. The farmers and producers want to make money and live good lives. The people who eat food and use fuel also want to live good lives and survive. But it's the government standing between the producer and the end user 
that interferes in the natural process to get food and fuel from the people who make it to those who use it. As an example, China has had several periods of revolution, and during all of those revolutions, food scarcity became an issue. In one such period known as the Great Leap Forward, the communist Chinese government wanted China to appear strong and abundant on the world stage. But about between 1959 and 1961, say, food production dropped significantly to the point that there was not enough food to go around. China's chairman Mao Zedong compounded a drought and a misunderstanding of farming with bad policy. The government attempted to centralize farms and farming. Farmers were told how much and what to produce, even if it was impossible. Farms would even be seized from those who had owned the farms for generations. They became state property, and the farmers themselves would even get in trouble with the government for eating the food that they were growing. The food and farms were looked at as national resources, and as such, the farms died. The farmers could not keep up with their government-mandated goals. The reason why is because government doesn't know how to farm, but it was making the rules. It turned farmers into slaves or apparatchiks of the government. The people who raised livestock could no longer raise animals, and the livestock disappeared. Places to fish were overfished, making it impossible to fish near the land. It got so bad that people ate the bark off of trees. They ate nearly all the pets in the country, and to top it off, there was cannibalism to the point that some families traded kids so they wouldn't have to kill and eat their own kids to survive. Can you imagine? This is all because government wanted to be in charge of who ate what and who ate when. No one knows for sure, but some reports and estimates suggest that nearly 45 million people starved during this period. It could very well be more. Now, during America's upcoming civil revolution, I highly doubt it would get that bad. However, in cities and urban areas, food will become expensive and largely for the same reasons. Government intervention. In America, food is grown in our more rural areas, with the majority of foods consumed in large urban centers. Rural America is generally more conservative and Republican, while the cities are generally more liberal and Democrat-run. It should be no surprise to anyone that in a civil conflict, rural America will not be particularly motivated to assist the population centers. Government will be pressured to do the same in the United States as governments have done in nearly every country and every revolution. Governments will be pressured to seize control over the means of production, including farms. And yes, normally when we speak of means of production, we are speaking of socialism. It is what it is. Governments see a problem with production, and as the urban centers start to starve off, they always see the risks associated with chaos in urban centers and attempt to seize control of food supplies to appease the masses. And the masses are in the cities, and the food is in the rural areas. The American government will similarly be left with the choice of letting the city starve by taking control of food production or of letting the market work itself out and staying out of the issue. Obviously, they'll not stay out of the issue. Government will choose to take control of food production, but they will realize that it never works. Central government control cannot take into account 
that force cannot make anyone an efficient farmer, and it cannot account for the intentional destruction of food going to the large population centers. Whether through fires, production issues, or farming inefficiency, rural areas of the United States cannot be motivated to produce food merely for the sake of producing food. They will not produce food at a financial loss to themselves, driving themselves into bankruptcy merely because the government wants them to. And fuel production will see a similar issue. In fact, we're seeing that now. Recall Venezuela, one of the world's largest oil producers, until the socialist revolution that saw Hugo Chavez come into power. Over the following decade, and as expected, the food market failed to the point that people were eating their pets and zoo animals. And the thriving international oil industry was failing because the government seized all the oil infrastructure, but didn't know what it was doing. In America, fuel is coming from refineries that are necessarily located in more rural areas. They are not obviously located within the cities. The longer a civil conflict goes on, the harder it will be to keep the refineries that supply cities operational. But now, let's imagine a future American civil conflict where a government is in a conflict with a large segment of its population. In our case would be the very Americans, by the way, who actually work to produce the fuel. Just as the Venezuelan government found that it was not equipped to produce oil in a vast market, can't you foresee that the same issues are likely in the American oil market? It does not own refineries themselves. The federal government does not own its fuel trucks. It does not own the fuel stations or have the knowledge that allow the oil companies to keep infrastructure and equipment going. It is natural and predictable that refineries closer to the cities will begin to have production issues and that government will begin to purchase fuel from more rural or even foreign refineries until they run out of money to pay. But just as it always does, it will become difficult to supply the needs of cities and urban centers with food and fuel. And as food and fuel become unstable and scarce, Americans will become desperate. And as humans get desperate, they get unpredictable. And as humans get unpredictable, they will do anything necessary to survive. And compounding this with the firearms the American population has in their possession, they will be dangerous. Unforeseen circumstance number two. It will become dangerous to work for government as an IRS agent police officer, or as a federal politician. Now, you may not know this, but the IRS is not a popular agency. I know. It's shocking. How could Americans not like an agency that steals their money from them, that takes their money without their permission to give it to people who choose not to work, to illegal immigrants who've already broken the American law, or to other countries who are fighting other countries that are not America's enemies. Yeah, that would be the very definition of theft. But theft aside, during America's upcoming civil conflict, it is likely that IRS employees will become targets of violence. Here's why. As a nation's government becomes more totalitarian, it is natural for government to believe that it is entitled to the money made by those who live within the country. Combined with the nature of the tyranny directed at the American population of a more socialistic nature, as well as one in which debt and the printing of money without regard to its effects will create inflation. It's totally predictable. 
and the American government will continue seizing the value of American money until a financial collapse occurs. This is called hyperinflation. Eventually, if not corrected, the value of money drops. This will then require massive amounts of cash to buy small things. Think of Weimar Germany before World War II, when a wheelbarrow full of money might buy you a couple days worth of food. And to get to that point, government needs to collect more money. And when lots of money are needed to buy little thing, governments need to collect a lot of money to buy the things that governments want to buy. But to collect more of that money, our federal government must not only raise taxes, but must increase the threats it makes to those involved in our economy. So they voluntarily give more of their money to the government. It's a way of government threatening the people to pay more money. Obviously, if the government posed no threat to taxpayers, less people would pay taxes. So what governments do is give the tax collectors guns. And the United States government is obviously no different. In 2022, the federal government posted jobs for 87,000 more IRS agents. But what's notable is that it identified that they will be trained in the use of firearms. That job posting described that those 87,000 agents must be willing to use force as a condition of employment. They later leaked some footage of IRS agents training with firearms. The problem, however, is that by arming IRS agents, many Americans will then recognize that they are being directly threatened by the federal government. It seems like the U.S. government has learned nothing from American history. It wasn't that long ago that the Revolutionary War was fought largely over taxation without representation. Taxation without representation occurs when a populace is required to pay taxes to a government authority without having any say in that government's policies. And yeah, that government would send out armed agents into the populace to collect money, ignoring the idea that Americans may not appreciate it and may begin to target IRS agents individually, target IRS processing facilities, and other IRS tax offices. Ignore about how IRS agents may have their homes and families placed at risk. Just how long do you think it would be before people stopped wanting to work for the IRS? How long would it be for IRS agents to refuse to do home visits because they fear being attacked, injured, and possibly killed by taxpayers who have had enough and have nothing left to lose? Now, it's understandable why no one likes IRS agents, but American law enforcement have a unique set of reasons why they could be in danger. The main reason is that police represent the first line of force against the people. Law enforcement is the tool that tyrants require in order for them to actually be tyrants. Here's an awkward analogy. If government is the dog's mouth, law enforcement would be the teeth. I mean, no one would want to be bitten by a toothless dog, but everyone would probably laugh about it as they wipe away the dog's slobber. What I mean by that is, is that if there were no police, no one would give a shit what government has to say. It's the threat of force that many pay attention to. As they are the tools of tyranny, most patriots recognize that when it's time to counter government, that the first line of defense will be the police who will be willing to blindly follow orders and do what they're told. But because many police officers are willing to uphold the oaths they took to defend the Constitution, 
law enforcement officers will quit en masse. In 2021 and 2022, law enforcement agencies have taken a beating. They've had to enforce COVID lockdowns. They were forced to take COVID vaccines or face firing. They had to deal with riots across the country initiated by Black Lives Matter and other groups. And to top it all off, they have had to deal with a defund the police movement. Their job has not been easy. It has actually been a nightmare for law enforcement personnel. Many have retired and many more have left the occupation permanently. They just resigned. In a future civil conflict, you can expect many more to leave law enforcement for a few reasons. The main reason is that when a true revolution occurs, it will be the police that are in the crosshairs first. It won't initially be the legislators making up the rules. It won't be the lawyers and the judges. It will be the police. As the tools of tyranny by a government that wants more control over the population, some police will allow themselves to be used to suppress others. Whether it's because they're weak and want their lives to be easier, or because they are sociopathic and like the way the power they wield feels to them, many will enthusiastically follow orders. You see it in every historical revolution, the French, the Russian, the Chinese, Cambodian, Romanian, wherever. There are always police who will reinforce the tyranny of government up until the point that they see that they cannot win. They will fight their neighbors and they will fight their friends. But America's revolution will be interesting. There is a second amendment and we have not seen a population of a revolution fight back against the government when they have a clear right to own firearms. We also have to wrestle with the concept of patriotism. The population and many law enforcement personnel will be motivated by a sense of patriotism that will either force them to fight government or to quit being police. There will be police who will not follow orders because they are patriots, and there will be officers, deputies, sheriffs who are on the side of the Constitution who will have no hand in being used as tools of tyranny. I'll venture to say that most American law enforcement officers will recognize immediately that they have no chance of winning during a future civil revolution. Revolutionaries will be able to choose the time, place, and manner that they will engage government, and the police understand that they will be fighting people who are fighting for their very rights and liberties. They also understand that many will be highly trained in firearms use and many will be veterans and most law enforcement officers will recognize and understand that they live amongst the population they are fighting and will have to wrestle with how vulnerable they and their families are. The final reason is because many police themselves are patriots who believe in the Constitution. Many would rather quit than fight the American population. And that's always a good thing. All right, the number one unforeseen circumstance that will occur during America's upcoming civil conflict is is that the nature of politicians will begin to shift and change. No, it's not planned nor intentional by the politicians. It's their very nature. Just as a dog will chew on an owner's shoe when that owner is gone, but that same dog won't chew on shoes when the owner is home. Politicians will generally do what they can get away with. If they feel they'll get in trouble when they do things, they will take less risk. If, on the other hand, they feel that they can do anything and they won't get in trouble for it, they will do that. It's all a calculation to them. People who want to become politicians, surprisingly, don't generally do it to serve their communities or to make life better for constituents. No, 
politicians, especially those at the federal level, become politicians merely because it makes them feel powerful, famous, or possibly rich. If their community or constituents become better, that's merely a byproduct. But if people considering political careers begin to see being a politician as risky and dangerous, they will moderate their behavior. Nothing changes the nature of humanity more than being in fear of one's security and safety. Now, we spoke of Maslow earlier. In psychology terms, security and safety is also a basic need. It's actually on the second tier of Maslow's hierarchy of needs behind shelter, food, and water. Few humans evolve their behavior faster than a politician will. They'll switch on a dime. They'll change what they believe for votes. Now, in many countries, politicians do not trust or particularly respect or like the citizens of the country that they work in. And as such, they can ignore the desires of that population in favor of their own. And when this happens, tyranny becomes the norm. That condition speaks to the Thomas Jefferson quote that states, When the people fear the government, there is tyranny. And when government fears the people, there is liberty. America's founding fathers wanted to avoid the issue of people living in fear of their government. And they laid out what the government cannot do. They also laid out what the primary rights of Americans are. That Bill of Rights made it clear what the government cannot attack or alter. Now this seems like wordplay, but many people mistakenly believe that the Constitution and the Bill of Rights are government documents that spell out what the government can do, and that's wrong. The Constitution and the Bill of Rights are not the government's documents. They are the American people's documents. They are written on behalf of the people. Note that the Constitution actually starts out with the words, we the people. Notice that it does not start out with the words, we the government. What our founding documents actually do is identify what the limits of the government are. When the First Amendment says, Congress shall make no laws respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or when the Second Amendment says, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, the Bill of Rights' purpose is specifically and affirmatively to put a limit on the government. Nowhere in the Bill of Rights is there any constitutional limit on the people. The Bill of Rights was created by the American people as a limit on the government. Period. Seriously, go read it. The problem we face, however, is that most politicians are dirty, power-hungry dogs. Yeah, I said it. Most will read the Constitution and promptly ignore it to get what they want. But why? While many take an oath to protect and defend the Constitution, but ignore their oath because they perhaps are atheists and don't believe the oath means anything, or they believe in other forms of government such as socialism, they want to destroy our form of government even though they work on behalf of the government they took an oath to protect. They are basically the virus living within the body. Just as the AIDS virus attacks its host, so do these politicians. And then to top it all off, the very same government that they are corrupting will provide protections to them. But that all ends at some point, and eventually there will be an upcoming American revolution and politicians will not be able to ignore the fact that more and more of them are being attacked by citizens. Initially, they'll blame it on extremists. They'll use those initial threats and attacks against politicians to suggest that their opponents were always crazy. 
Then they'll realize that it's not working and they'll adapt their argument to suggest that they must be striking a nerve against their opposition. They'll get on the news and tell everyone that's why the opposition is attacking them so aggressively. They may even believe it themselves. And when neither of those blame-shifting strategies work, they'll blame it on guns. They'll blame guns because firearms will be the main tools that are being used against the politicians who are attempting to seize the constitutional rights of the population. They will then proclaim that they need more security. They will put themselves behind fences and armor, but it will still not work. Just as Nancy Pelosi did after the January 6th riots when she fenced off access to the U.S. Capitol to the public, politicians will do everything they can to limit their interaction between the American people and themselves and the government that the American people presumably own. But because of corruption of government and anger of the population, the threat to politicians will inevitably increase. And combined with our prior unforeseen circumstances, there will be fewer law enforcement officers to protect them. Attacks on politicians will increase in a manner and frequency that they traditionally haven't been. So in the end, the newly elected politicians will seem more moderated and reasonable than the old. The newly elected politicians will recognize that they must respect the citizens, mainly because they have a healthy fear of the American people. Unfortunately, to ensure politicians respect the people, the people must threaten remind and occasionally slap around some politicians, metaphorically speaking, of course. This is the embodiment of the quote by Thomas Jefferson, where he proclaims that the tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. Now, many of us hoped and dreamed that the tree of liberty can be refreshed without bloodshed, but when the tyrants are politicians, they don't seem to understand the logic and the warnings from the people. Instead, they push blindly forward into unforeseen circumstances. And I fear, if I were a betting man, the American people are going to have to break a few eggs to make an omelet. It should be wholly apparent that these three unforeseen circumstances of America's upcoming revolution pose a significant challenge to the federal government. Well, that is it. Thank you so much for stopping by the upcoming American Revolution podcast. I am so glad you chose to spend some of your time with me. I cannot wait to talk to you in our next episode. Thank you and talk to you later. So those are my thoughts. Thank you for stopping by the American Revolution podcast. You can contact me at the upcoming AmericanRevolution.com. Go to the bottom of the page and you'll see a message box. I'm always up for your questions or topics you'd like me to discuss. Subscribe now to the upcoming American Revolution podcast wherever you listen to podcasts at. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you next time.